you got to embellish a little bit though i guess that's <laughs> that's the real truth of podcasts we'll see we'll see <laughs> In that case, welcome to Young and Concrete Podcast. Hey, I'm happy to be here. I mean, that's good. I mean, if you're unhappy to be here, this would be a very long hour. Well, happy to be here in my apartment, like every other day for the past couple of years. <laughs> yeah, life has become that. <laughs> yeah, I like to think as well because I put the podcast out so often. Um, it looks like I haven't moved on like in two years either because I'm always just sat in the same place and my hair changes length, but that's about it. I think everybody's sat in the same place at this point. Yeah. 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 Um, but I'm I'm terrible at introducing people. So if you do the honors, would you introduce yourself and who you are and what you do? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, my name's Aaron Long, um, and I'm an animator, I guess, and director, I guess. Uh, it feels weird calling you myself guess. a director, but I am a person who works as a director in animation, uh, yeah. and I make my own independent cartoon as well as working in the industry my independent cartoon is called sublo and tangy mustard uh and otherwise i usually work uh, i've been working the past few years on tuca and birdie and uh before that bojack horseman and various other things just some small and, tiles just yeah ca- casual uh, casual <laughs> <laughs> and uh i'm from toronto originally in canada but right now i'm in los angeles uh Although I'm about to visit Toronto again next week, which I'm excited about. Nice. How long have you been in? How long have you been in Los Angeles? Then? Uh, I've spent most of my time in Los Angeles since like 2013. Which oh wow! I, I'm, I'm not thrilled about. I uh, no? <laughs> I moved there after college, kind of okay. semi accidentally. Like I was, uh, I thought I would just be coming here to try, like basically to work on one season of one show. Okay. And and then go back to Toronto, and then. Um, uh, another show started immediately after and they were like we need everybody you're all on this next show and I was like all right I guess I'll stick around for uh, another six months or something and then it just kept building and I lost track of time and then the pandemic happened and uh, I've been here for too long now that does tend to happen I, I feel that way about I mean the city I'm in I came and basically settled into a job and thought oh yeah I'll be here for a couple of years yeah that was a decade ago happens yeah <laughs> You do kind of end up a bit trapped, but yeah. What city are you in? Uh, so I'm in Lincoln, which is in the UK, but if right, yeah. nobody really knows where that is because it's not London, which is basically <laughs> how well, the UK works. The UK, is it? Uh, so I mean, this is the way to describe it. It's right in the middle and on the east. Oh, okay. So if you look at it, it's like just on that side. And then yeah, it, it's a yeah. very small city. It's not see, see. Toronto or Los Angeles in any way. <laughs> well, nothing's a, a Toronto is a pretty small city compared to Los Angeles, too. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's not tiny, but it's it's like a normalish sized city, I think. And then Los Angeles is like this monster city that it's like five separate cities sprawled out enough that they connected with each other and just kind of absorbed each other. Same. That's, that's how it feels to me, anyway. Yeah. I think that's basically what happened. I mean, I visit, visited Toronto in 2019 yeah I, I kind of took myself on holiday to oh, Canada cool. um, and I did I did like a 10-day road trip which took me through most of Ontario um, but yeah Toronto I kind of stepped off the train I was like well this is a big city um, yeah I mean it's a big city <laughs> it's not like the biggest city or anything but I yeah I love Toronto 
it's, it's my favorite city probably this is the one i'm from i guess <laughs> you know i'm always a, like i feel bad because my, my impression of toronto was kind of soured oh yeah but mainly because of the hotel i was staying in at the time Oh, okay. Which was down the street from a strip club and then down the street from like a whole host of homeless people. And every time I stepped out of my hotel, I was like, oh, strip club and homeless people. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't sound like the ideal first impression. Yeah. No, no. But, you know, I, I realize <laughs> different areas of different places have their own problems. Lincoln's got dodgy areas. Yeah, as well. every, every city's got some, some yeah. seediness to it, I guess. Yeah. So you're trying to make it back to Toronto or? You. yeah um eventually uh yeah. that's the plan um <laughs> but it's you know during the pandemic i was i was planning to and then at the peak of the pandemic it kind of feels like well why go to all the trouble of moving right now and I'm just gonna be mm -hmm. sitting in a sitting in a box in toronto instead of sitting in a box in los angeles but now it feels like everything's opening back up again and i, I am really missing it so I'm not permanently moving back yet but i am uh, doing a visit dipping your toe to figure out yeah well oh I, I don't need to dip my toe I'd, <laughs> I'd jump in all the way if I could but uh but I'm waiting for my girlfriend to be able to immigrate as well and that's sort of what's been right uh, yeah I mean that, that'll, that'll happen family gets in the way if, yeah yeah but it's okay. I just smuggle her in <laughs> I've got some pretty big suitcases she might be able to get in yeah that's, that's the answer to it. Not that we're in, in, like encouraging people to smuggle people across borders, but you know, maybe yeah, just yeah. you know, it's only can, like the U.S. and Canada. Nobody, nobody cares which way you go. As far as I know, <laughs> they, they got some pretty heavy-duty customs for some reason. I guess. I guess there's been various suspicious over the years. Yeah, but um, it's mostly uh, easier than other countries, I guess. You know, but um. Yeah. But there's still a border. They still can be jerks if they want to. <laughs> a friend of mine had a visa. I, I was on one visa for years, and now I'm on a different one. But uh, a friend, and the way that you do it is that you just kind of apply. I don't know if I should talk too much about visas online. But, uh, um, but anyway, you kind of apply as you're going through customs. And mm -hmm. it seems like they can basically just say they can give you the visa as you're going through customs. Or if they're in a bad mood and you get a... Uh, you know, customs officer who's not happy that day, they can just deny it for basically no reason, it seems. Wow. Uh, and so I've never had that experience, but my friend from Toronto, who was also in LA, yeah. had that experience and she just had to go back. Just that's not terrifying. Ideal. Yeah. No, that's not what you want when you're making moves and getting out there. Yeah. She's okay now. She's, she's working on a show up there. Okay. There's a lot of animation work in Toronto, too. It's like... Right. Just... Like a central home. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of preschool shows and a lot of work for uh, for American shows where the actual animation is done up in Toronto. So it's, it's a, a good amount. Expediting all the work over to Canada because nobody <laughs> in the do, US yeah. <laughs> Well, the, people in the US want to animate, but they no no studios want to pay people to animate in the US, you know? Right, okay. That makes so sense. Like, we'll, we'll do the pre-production kind of key creative decisions here in LA and then send it to so when I saw your work and I saw uh, Soblo and Tangy Mustard it reminded me of kind of old Cartoon Network stuff like oh yeah initial like impression kind of it's kind of like Ed Ed and Eddie and Cow and Chicken oh, yeah, and, yeah. and all that kind of like animation those yeah those are great yeah I, I, I kind of assumed you would <laughs> because yeah of, uh, I mean yeah. uh 
I saw like Cow and Chicken a lot as a kid. Um, yeah. And uh, that show, I still like, I still think that and Ed and Eddie actually, those are two good, good uh, ones. Definitely. They had some of the best like animation on TV shows. Yeah. I feel like, because like there's a lot of TV cartoons that are good, but like good as shows, but the animation isn't really that standout. But mm-hmm. those two in particular, it's a, it's a high compliment to me because those are two of the best looking ones, I think. Yeah, I think just everything about it was just kind of it's it fully reminded me or slipped me into that kind of nostalgia trip of yeah. this. This I remember <laughs> this way, and it, it prompted me because when I found out, I was like, "When was this made?" <laughs> it's like I think they were like this seems seems like culturally relevant, but so it's, yeah. Well, I I mean I'm fairly old now, I guess thirty two, but uh, I mean I'm thirty two. So yeah, we're we're on the same balance here. <laughs> little chunks of coal here yeah the kids think uh, we're old and the old people think we're young that's, that's, I guess so, yeah. that's yeah. it goes for everybody um but yeah i mean i i like a lot of old stuff but i don't necessarily deliberately try to make it sort of like retro style you know mm-hmm. like um i did this other cartoon uh, like a decade ago now called fester fish mm-hmm. which was more kind of self-consciously in the style of like a old looney tunes and like Betty Boop and Popeye and things like that yeah and it was sort of supposed to be more old-timey and I think like for the first one I even put you know the, the classic uh film grain preset effect on it or something yeah I was really like trying to be like look this is like an old thing and then I sort of started wanting to do things that were less self-consciously like something else and more just sort of whatever I felt like doing I guess yeah which still tends to be you know very influenced by other things but uh hopefully a little more original i guess oh, definitely. i mean i mean that's a good question then why, why did you start so blown tiny most um well i sort of always liked doing animation uh, mm-hmm. you know like and, and working in the industry and stuff and i always sort of got into it as i think a lot of people do to do my own original projects um uh and it was just sort of a, a thing that i came up with to do like i was sort of trying to come up with different projects and then that ended up being the one that I was excited about enough to actually start doing you know yeah um and uh there was this guy who was asking me to pitch stuff to him who actually is still asking me to pitch stuff to him but he never really goes for my ideas (laughs) and uh so I pitched that one to him uh and he he was like oh I don't know if this is right for us right now at this company but um I just started making it anyway, just for fun. Um, and I sort of do it in like short batches. Like, I mean, I guess seasons is the word, but it takes me like three or four years to do a season. So it feels weird calling them that. Yeah. But uh, like I do them in little chunks so that if I want to stop at a certain point, I sort of have enough that there's like a, you know, it works as like a solid show, but then if I want to keep going, then I can do more. Yeah. Um, and I guess the idea for it sort of came from, uh, I live in, in here in LA, I live right near Hollywood and Highland, which is like this kind of miserable tourist area where, um, you know, there's like the walk of fame on the street and there's like all right. the people dressed up as, uh, Jack Sparrow and like Charlie Chaplin and Superman, yeah. uh, and Jack Sparrow and Jack Sparrow. There's a lot of Jack Sparrows. Um, you gotta and, feed the uh, need, right? Uh, <laughs> the yeah, street is just a huge demand. demand in 2022 for, for like Jack 10 Sparrow. different Jack Sparrows. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, 
but there's always, you know, there's there's like a guy in a weird Chewbacca costume that seems to be made of shredded cardboard or something. Right. And okay. there's this weird, oh, I think I've mentioned this before other places too, but there's, there's one of my favorites is this like seven foot tall Elmo from Sesame Street where uh, he's wearing like lime green pants and uh, <laughs> his eyes are kind of like not quite like aligned properly. And he just looks like barely recognizable as Elmo. And I thought it was really funny. Um, and so I wanted to, you know, that's kind of why Tangy Mustard looks, has that sort of vacant stare yeah. with his, his one eye. Um, uh, but also, so I live really close to that, but then I'd also be taking the subway here and uh, and you'd see like a guy dressed as Spider-Man just commuting on the train or something, you know? And I just thought it was like a funny image to to sort of follow somebody who's dressed up as this character like through their regular life as well as the spot that they go to to, to be that character. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to do something that was like explicitly set in Toronto because I was really missing Toronto at the time and, like, okay. and have been since I moved here. But in 2015, I was, I was really uh, craving some, you know, some Toronto. So uh, I wanted to do a show where I could kind of draw a lot of buildings that look like Toronto buildings and stuff. That's interesting. And I guess that's the inception for the show, basically. So it's not a classic story of you were secretly working at Subway and thought this would be the perfect thing for my animation. <laughs> no, I never actually worked at Subway. I just ate there a lot, like way too much during college. Um, and it felt like a, an environment that I knew very well. You know, right. like I I just kind of uh, designed the restaurant, the subpar restaurant that they work at, like literally exactly like the, the Subway restaurant that was near my uh, house at the time. Right. Uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's it's very thinly veiled. <laughs> I love seeing that though. I love I love kind of I was I think I was talking to a friend about this recently of where you you find little bits of inspiration to put into things, and it's just like anecdotal from life, and you may not even realize you've done it. And you're just like, oh, right, yeah. you know, I'm gonna draw a sub shop. And yeah. it's funny because it's never, or at least in my experience and like people I know, it's never like the these are like the 10 most important things in my life. You know, it's always just, yeah. Oh, here's a random thing that happened to me five years ago. Who's the guy I went to college with, you know, it's not like this is about me and my three best friends. It's like yeah. just random memories and little things like subway isn't super important to me, but, but it's something that I just uh, was like, ah, sure. Why not? I'll put that in the show. It always feels like one of those things you might like live to regret eventually where uh, like, yeah. like if it, if it, you know, took off and became like a, a primetime show and then suddenly everyone just <laughs> starts bringing you Subway sandwiches. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant I was going to get sued. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I'd be okay with free sandwiches. I don't know how many I could eat at this point, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it would be a, that'd be a good problem to have. That's a champagne problem. That's the secret. <laughs> but That's so the many people love it that they're bringing me free sandwiches. <laughs> so the show doesn't have to make money because I'll never need to buy food ever again. I'm just that would be great. That would, be I, I don't even need the Patreon at that point if <laughs> if my food income is totally covered by uh, by free sandwiches. You had it at that's first. the dream. Although uh -huh. maybe not Subway. Maybe Quiznos. I like Quiznos more these days. What's Quiznos? Quiznos is oh, in the UK. Maybe they don't have them. It's just another sandwich chain. But sandwiches. I like them a little better. They um, okay. they have different toppings and stuff you can get <laughs> i mean that's that's the fact of this podcast now the title of this podcast is aaron long willing to be paid in sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> well, don't tell the don't tell my bosses that i don't want that secret to get out 
the industry will know <laughs> one way or another. Don't know if the uh, animation unions would be having that, paying people in sandwiches. I mean, it's, it just cuts out the middleman, right? Like, <laughs> everyone I mean, gets what do I need sandwich. money for? To buy yeah. Subway sandwiches. Just give me the sandwiches, yeah. It's the, the dystopia we want to aim for. You know, there's worse ones to live in, I feel like. <laughs> oh, there's a lot worse ones. <laughs> depending, depending on the type of sandwich, of course. Like, it was a sandwich you hated, and that was what you were all you were ever getting. Well, I don't like fish. If people only brought me tuna, that could get ugly really fast. I mean, yeah. That, that's fish. I like those meatball ones. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a divergent question. What's your favorite sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Subway, probably the meatball one. But um, if it's Quiznos, then I'd take anything on the menu, baby. Oh, well. Wow. I, I love a lot of their stuff. This quickly became an advert for Quiznos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I don't even know if there are any more around here. I think there were like two or three when I moved here and then they all closed. So I hope they're still in business, but I haven't seen them lately. I mean, I've heard of them. So they must be, you know, to say they don't I'm have I'm not making them up. They're, they're real. Yeah, they're, they're real. real. <laughs> Where did I hear about them? I'm just wondering where I heard them. I think I watched them on, um, do you know, Good Mythical Morning on YouTube? Uh, do I know what? Good Mythical Morning with Ren No, Link. I don't think so. They're like they're like YouTubers, but I think they do like lots of like sandwich taste tests. You know, like when you end up in a YouTube hole and you're just watching yeah, people yeah. eat and you don't really uh -huh. know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually uh, another reason that I wanted to do Sublo and Tangy Mustard and make it so specifically set in Toronto and Canada and stuff is because I realized when I moved here that I picked up a bunch of knowledge of random American and LA things just from from movies and stuff. Right. You know that I. There's no need that somebody from Toronto needs to know what Jamba Juice is or, or hear about Ralph's or whatever, but because uh, we didn't have those in Toronto. Mm -hmm. But I like knew all these names from, you know, I don't know, comedy movies and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, no, why? Why is that? Like, nobody knows anything from Toronto because you never see it even in Canadian media. Yeah. So I thought it would be fun to do, like, you know, there's an episode of my cartoon where they go to a, a pharmacy chain called Shoppers Drug Mart that just, all over the place in Toronto and there's nothing exciting about it but uh I just thought it'd be good to put some mundane stuff in there I think I think that's key though I think there's I mean I mean obviously there's a whole conversation we could have there about representation of just you know people learning exactly. yeah. learning about Toronto and I mean because I watch a lot of like UK stuff too and I know yeah. things like Tesco's and uh, like why why <laughs> why do I know that <laughs> I mean yeah I mean Tesco's I'm general supermarket i guess <laughs> exactly yeah but I don't, I don't need to know about that but i know a bunch of you know i knew about vons which is just a grocery store chain in in los angeles that uh that somehow made its way to my ears in toronto so i figured i'd put some toronto stuff in other people's ears sublo and tangy mustard it's good to do it. you have just reminded me though i recently saw a thing about uh people learning different store names and not really knowing what those stars are from other countries and oh yeah there's there's so in the us you, you have the dollar store which is i don't really like i'm assuming it's just everything the dollar that's you know yeah, at this point some stuff is a dollar but it's, yeah it's just cheap stuff yeah just cheap stuff but we, we have a uk equivalent mm -hmm. uh, we just don't call them dollar stores we don't call it dollar store. well we call, you don't call them dollars right no we call it Poundland. <laughs> yeah that makes sense and it was just online of someone who was freaking out of a reaction it was like do you guys know what pound means like you you made you made pound land 
as your <laughs> like, yeah that's, hmm. that's wouldn't translate too well to america no it doesn't, it doesn't quite say i mean that could have been the the strip club in toronto by your hotel i don't know much no, about the strip club. i know they had an offer on which was advertised heavily on the outside <laughs> but it was quite a weird setup i i mean I, I can't describe where it was in any way shape or form but i remember looking at it and it had like a you know like old film uh movies, like cinemas used to have the the like the plastic cards with the letters and it would like oh yeah on yeah. the outside it had the, one uh, of those marquee boards. thing yeah, yeah. i like it had one of those on the outside and i looked at it and i was like oh that's a cinema and then i got closer to it and i realized <laughs> that it was not a cinema <laughs> yeah that's uh that's not surprising <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of those kinds of establishments around Toronto. It just seems so, I don't know, flagrant. When I, Like Lincoln has a strip club, but it's hidden down like a back alley. <laughs> We're British, yeah, so we right don't talk about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, um, there used to be a, I don't know if they're still around, but there's a grocery store chain in uh, Los Angeles called Fresh and Easy. Okay. And uh, one time I was walking down Hollywood Boulevard, which sounds a lot more glamorous than it is but i was walking down hollywood boulevard and there were some tourists walking by and they were looking around and, and they saw a sign that said fresh and easy which is the grocery store and they went okay this one's got to be a strip club they're having a hard time finding <laughs> one i guess how do you advertise your strip club when all the grocery stores <laughs> keep finding all the names <laughs> there's a there's one down the street for me called crazy girls live girls 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 and it's across the street from uh the Jim Henson Company. So there's a statue of Kermit the Frog looking out onto the street, tipping his hat. And if you look across at where he's tipping his hat to, it's the strip club. That's fantastic. <laughs> you see it on Google Maps. That's little real. things like that. It's, it's, it's the little things in everything we have which make everything, you know, yeah. worth <laughs> as it were. <laughs> no, I, I mean, going back to animation, just kind of briefly then, I, I, had, a, I had a couple of kind of like boiler quick play questions for you animation yeah uh, what was the like the first animation you remember watching <sighs> i watched so much animation as well, a kid i mean there's i can think of ones that had big impressions on me early okay. on yeah um i guess it's not technically animation but i really loved thomas the tank engine as a kid um, i mean that's, that's animation it's stop motion it's like yeah it's some hybrid thing it's yeah because they weren't it wasn't you know, they were actually just filming model trains moving around and stuff. So it's not like they were like pausing and then moving it a little bit like traditional stop motion. But I mean, ruining it, my childhood you know, there. little sets and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> not making it better. They were doing it live. Um, but uh, yeah, I liked that a lot. Um, I liked Looney Tunes a lot. My dad was obsessed with Looney Tunes and he kind of got me obsessed with it, too. I think the first one that I ever saw was the one where these two French chefs are trying to cook Bugs Bunny. In yep. France, probably. That's familiar. Yeah. I think it's called French Rarebit, or I don't know what it's called. Something. Maybe some self pun. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a pun about rabbit. Yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, I really loved Looney Tunes as a kid. I still do. Um, I liked Ren and Stimpy a lot, but uh, it's, the whole series has a bit of a stink on it now with the uh, the creator having been yeah revealed to be uh, a monster. Um, that seems I'm to happen really a lot with like things from our childhood at the moment, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just keep kind of souring. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I haven't been too tempted to revisit that one uh, since since that news, but it was it was a big influence on me as a kid. Um, the Simpsons, obviously, you know. Uh, and I, I don't know. I liked a lot of preschool stuff, obviously. <laughs> like I'm trying to think of what would have been the first thing that made a big impression. Yeah. I know there's footage of me as a two year old watching the Disney movie Cinderella, and my mom says over the footage, you can see Aaron's watching his favorite movie Cinderella. Uh, so, uh, that's adorable. I, think, I know I really liked the mice in that one. Uh, okay. They had like those like hats and stuff, you know. I thought they were pretty cool. I liked Alvin and the Chipmunks a lot. It's a lot of uh, lot of like um, what's the word like drawn animation, not so much stop motion or anything. Well, I liked a lot of stop motion too. Yeah. Um, a lot of older British stop motion, especially. I really liked that Paddington show from the seventies. Yeah. Paddington Bear. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, you know Wallace and Gromit and things like that. Um, Wallace and Gromit is like my hands down my favorite animation. It's yeah, that, that was my oh, childhood. They're wonderful, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, oh, uh, one of the other big things that I saw a lot as a kid that was really inspiring was the the National Film Board of Canada. They had this, and I think they still do. Just for years, they've been like decades and decades. Uh, they've just been funding independent shorts. Okay. And. Uh, those are all really kind of artistically all over the place and um there's a really fun one called the big snit that i love about this married couple who are playing scrabble and there's like a nuclear war starting around the house outside them okay uh, and that one i think if you like other people i didn't really think of it as like a key influence initially and then other people kept saying oh like i can totally see that you got like the wiggly lines and your backgrounds from that and i went oh yeah i loved that as a kid that uh the lines in that one are all wiggly and when the characters move they're kind of boiling you know yeah um and that's a, a one of my favorite cartoons ever uh this that you know if you look up like probably the 10 most famous nfb cartoons are probably 10 of my favorite cartoons <laughs> i mean that's not a bad thing you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again that's it's like another kind of outside influence which you don't necessarily know it's just like sneaking its way into your work yeah there's just all kinds of uh yeah just things that feel so commonplace and that um, I think moving sort of made me re like moving out of Canada made me notice what was specifically Canadian that I hadn't necessarily picked up on you know yeah um oh uh, I don't know if they ever showed in the UK but there's this other cartoon from the 80s called the raccoons that I used to really like that does sound familiar and it was about a rack of three raccoons and one of them had like a hockey jersey and he had like a bent nose I do remember uh, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. He was always, I think he was at, like bangs into a tree in the opening or something. And there was yeah. this pink aardvark guy who was sort of like Mr. Burns before Mr. Burns from The Simpsons, named Cyril Sneer. Yeah. And he was trying to like uh, bulldoze the forest they lived in. That was a fun show. I liked that. I mm. loved the music in it. There was some really cool songs. I mean, I mean, from from this kind of point of view, then, like, why do you have you ever thought of why you got more interested in animation than, let's say, just like live action stuff? um yeah i don't know i mean as a kid i just was drawn to it because it was so otherworldly you know like yeah. the characters could move in weird ways that you can't realistically move and i was you know fascinated by things like uh a character would clap and it wouldn't be the sound of hands clapping it'd be like some other sound of just things like that that yeah that you can't do and you can do that in live action but uh you know you don't usually see it <laughs> um and uh, yeah, I don't know. And I liked drawing a lot as a kid. And I was sort of fascinated by the idea that I could 
take these drawings that I was doing and make them move. Yeah. Uh, and so then I started trying to do that. You know, you discover flip books and things and and then start drawing in like the margins of all your, your schoolwork and stuff. And uh, the back of every school assignment would have like an Archie comic or Archie and Jughead are going to a bar getting drunk and stuff. That was a big phase for me. <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of like the same benchmarks of kind of my childhood of just recently <laughs> I was tidying out some boxes and I found a like a, a comic book which I forgot I'd made and I went through a whole phase of drawing pigs. Oh yeah. And it was just disgruntled pigs. That's the entire premise was just what if there was a pig? He was just annoyed by everything. Like <laughs> it was it was very much along the lines of kind of like an annoyed duck. Like it was just <laughs> This is, this is all it is. It's great. Like, well, <laughs> wow, it was uh, Do you still draw at all or what? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I do illustration. Oh, you will. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That. All these kinds of things. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I do stuff. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Obviously, not to your scale of stuff. But I do stuff. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I just forgot. Stupid question. <laughs> Occasionally, remake posters from old animated films as well. I was going to say, I like that poster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, presumably, you know, home movies from. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's the like the Adult Swim home movie. Yeah. Brendan yeah. Small. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't remember that particular one, but I. That's, so that's from like that's, a, a videotape. Yeah. Yeah. Like there was a random videotape in a random frame and I reproduced that poster from that because I was like, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I was going to comment on that when we started. It was like, oh, that's funny. But now looking closer, obviously, that's Jason. Yeah. Jason. Yeah. What I a find... great show. Yeah. That's what that was another one of my favorite shows. I feel like Adult Swim did a lot of like good shows. Yeah, yeah. Well, that one especially didn't. I mean, it was it fit in on Adult Swim, but it had such a unique, uh, you know, just the whole mood of it with like yeah. a kind of improvised feeling dialogue, and it didn't feel like it. I mean, it didn't come from you know the same place as a lot of their other stuff. That were like William Street Studio. Yeah, I think they were they were kind of isolated. They were doing it at Soup to Nuts, which is in Boston, I think. Yeah. Um. So I think that's part of why it had a different feel is that it was coming from a different place geographically. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone um, gets a unique sense of humor depending on where you were like located, I guess. Yeah. Well, anytime you're kind of just doing something next to a bunch of other people doing the same thing, you're going to kind of be rubbed off a little bit with it, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know if that phrasing is right, but, <laughs> you know, it will rub off on you a little bit. A little bit of in your endorsement, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like you know you mentioned ed ed and eddie earlier and uh the people who worked on that show one of the things they said about it was that part of the reason that uh they feel they were able to get away with a lot of the stuff they did is because they weren't physically at cartoon network when they made it okay they were up right. in, there was actually in canada it was basically a canadian show just made with american money yeah um but uh because they weren't in the office they weren't you know there wasn't somebody looking over their shoulder going how are you doing this this is how we're supposed to do it just follow the way we do it right they would just you know send them stuff and be like hey we did it don't ask how what are we doing it our way <laughs> which i like I, I really like when you see stuff that doesn't feel like it's coming through the same pipeline sort of setup as as all the other stuff that's going on yeah you know where you can see that somebody's getting good results from something but they clearly have their own sort of methodology yeah uh, that kind of thing appeals to me a lot yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's why I kind of like some, when I ran across your work was is, that's why I still, I mean, as much as I dislike YouTube as a platform these days because yeah. of advertisements oh, yeah. ruining everything, um, <clears throat> it's one of the few 
platforms where I can go on and I can find something completely original and find yeah. something which is just some guy in a bedroom who's made something, <laughs> some girl who's just thrown something together. And I'm like, this is this is great. It's untethered. And that's what we Yeah. Do. That's the kind of thing I really appreciate more and more these days because there's so much uh like I don't know, movies and shows and not so much music, I guess, but you know, just different forms of media that all feel like they're kind of being so sort of like watered down and like the the, the superficial elements are still intact, but it just feels like they're being hollowed out gradually. Mm-hmm. And and because it still kind of looks the same from the outside, the audiences are like, yeah, it seems the same as ever. That's fine. Yeah. But you can kind of feel it getting a little bit worse. A lot of, uh, I don't know, just corporate media, basically. I mean, so I really appreciate when you find some independent person who's doing stuff their own way and making it good on their own terms sort of you know yeah that's a a big big joy in my life right now is just finding that kind of stuff doing it for the passion of it is, is something which exactly, i'm always yeah. always encouraging I, I think i i mean i completely kind of see what you mean especially when i like look at netflix and i look at like netflix the stuff a on perfect that. example right now yeah, yeah. and I, I remember what show is it i think like archer had come out and Arch is oh, yeah. quite unique in its like mm. style and everything like that. And then Definitely, yeah. a year down the line, I saw two more shows come out, which were now stylized like Archer. Oh, yeah. What, what was, it was like a, was there an Australian one? that was Yeah, sort of, it was like Danger Island or something, something like that. Is that yeah. the one? Yeah. I forget. I haven't seen it, but I, I remember seeing a trailer for it and going, oh, they're clearly yeah. just trying to make that look exactly like Archer. Yeah. And I think Family Guy had that same effect as well of just oh, yeah. that animation style. Suddenly it was like, oh, everything which comes out now will look like this. And yeah. Sound. And same with Rick and Morty. But you see a lot of weird, unholy yeah. hybrids of Rick and Morty and Family Guy right now. Yeah. And it's 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 sad, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it would be great if I mean I've complained about this, you know. If if anybody I know listens to this, they're gonna be like, Oh, this is that thing Aaron always says. But uh, but you look at a lot of those shows and they don't look at all like something that a person actually sat and drew. It looks like yeah. something that somebody drew and then an executive looked over and at it and went like, okay, make their eyes 10% bigger, move their nose down. And, you know, just like weird kind of very bland. Uh, it just, it feels so like done by committee that you, yeah. you can tell like nobody said, nobody draws a character like this naturally. This isn't anybody's real art style. This is like, the most sort of put through a machine kind of a yeah. look for a show kind of homogenized like very homogenized yeah yeah it's, i think there's always seems to be kind of like a little bit of a miss of especially when it comes to animation and anything like that where shows have gone to this habit of oh well we we can just make an animated version of it it's just like regular life and it'll, <laughs> it'll look normal and i'm like but you, you're dealing with a medium where you can do anything like, yeah yeah there's there's a big trend of that in Canadian stuff the past few years, especially. I know right. I keep talking about Canada, but um, it's a good place. Uh, there's this show trailer. Oh, I don't want to badmouth everything, but there's this show Trailer Park Boys. Yes, and they, yeah. you know, I, I love the early seasons of that, but they mm-hmm. did a an animated version recently, yeah. and it does not look great. It looks like exactly what I was saying. It looks like, you know, something that's had like a hundred passes of designs yeah. to water down and like make sure they like beat out any kind of personal artist's touch on it yeah so it just sort of looks like uh i don't know 
I forget what that software is called, but the one where you can kind of like create a character from pre-created assets, you know? Okay, yeah, I, I know. Uh, Go animate, yeah. I think. I'm yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, but there's that show. There's this other show called Corner Gas that had an animated version that was also the yeah. same kind of thing. Yeah. There's uh, this popular Canadian show, Letter Kenny, that got a an I didn't animated, know that animated called, version. It's called Little Kenny, and it's them as babies or something. I didn't watch it, but. This is a big thing in Canadian animation right now is to do these really boring looking versions of, yeah. of live action shows. Sitcom shows. Just, yeah. yeah. I kind of love <laughs> but, it. Karen, sorry. <laughs> well, it's just, there's always, they're always doing that kind of thing in the US too, but um, yeah. But it's a bit of an epidemic in Canada the last few years, especially. I was just, just going to say, I love the fact that you referenced Connor Gas because <laughs> I discovered Connor Gas when, when I was on my trip in Canada, came yeah. back. And nobody knows what it is in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was surprised even you. I mean, when did you go? 2019, you said? So I went in 2019 and the, it was just on TV. And I was like, okay, what's this? And I sat down and watched it and it reminded me so much of King of the Hill. Yeah, it is like a bit of a live action King of the Hill. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, I love this. It's just, it's so deadpan. And I don't, oh, yeah, really, I like it. I don't really get most of the references because I'm not Canadian, but I love it. <laughs> And I couldn't stop watching it. So. <laughs> well, I feel like that's the kind of thing where, like, like I've, this has happened with some British stuff for me, mm -hmm. the opposite way, where you know you watch a bunch of it and you start picking up on like weird, like you'll you'll have a bunch of random Canadian useless knowledge from watching six seasons of Corner Gas. Yeah, yeah, just just binge watch a lot of Corner Gas and then just sit there like I don't know what to do with this information. Like, I found really funny watching it recently. Um, is uh, they have this huge cast. Mm -hmm. you know like like a huge regular cast for a show yeah. i mean usually you'd have i don't know five main characters or something but corner gas has like 10 and it uh, and it seems like they try to fit all of them into every episode so they'll obviously be one main story with like uh i don't want to get too into the weeds but with like you know brent and hank and uh what's her name the lady who runs the restaurant oh anyway you know my mind's blanking <laughs> Yeah, there'll be two or three, you know, main characters in the story. Yeah. And there'll be a B story where there's some other, you know, the cops are doing something. Yeah. And then you'll have the like leftover characters. And it's like, oh, these three random ones that don't really have anything to do with each other. They're going to do a puzzle in this episode. And we'll keep cutting back to them working on the puzzle. Or, or one of them's got to assemble a shelf or something. Like, this is, I don't think anybody's really clamoring for a story about putting together a shelf. But you got to give these actors something to do. <laughs> It was, it was, it was all like have to be in everyone contractual at that point of just like we need to get everybody in i think so yeah it's, they wind up with like c and d stories yeah like somebody has to go refill their water cooler or something so we can't open the coffee cup on this one i mean it's just i just love that's, yeah. that's what i loved about kind of guess because the stories were so mundane and i remember describing yeah, yeah. it to a friend and they were like well what's it about i was like nothing really happens uh, <laughs> you should watch it yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. i mean it, it is a good show though I was like, uh, I was impressed with how well it had held up in mm. my own uh, opinion of it, you know, because I'd, I'd, whenever it was coming out, I think I was a teenager and then uh, watching it again recently, I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to like it as much as I did then. But I was like, oh, it's still a pretty good show. Yeah. Um, the other thing that was funny about it uh, when I saw it again recently, I think the last time I visited Toronto in 2021, I, I looked at a few episodes on the plane. Uh, and there was a clip of them uh, where they had a cutaway to like somebody in Hollywood or something right. or somewhere in America, there's like a, you know, a quick cutaway to like 
a studio executive or something. Yeah. And it's the exactly the opposite of what you usually see on like an American show where they would do a cutaway to Canada where it's the most like gratuitous kind of like the executive has like a cheap fake looking version of the Hollywood sign outside of his his office window and he's yeah. you know there's like palm trees outside his office window and it's like the most fake uh, American accent that just sounds like someone from you know Alberta or something yeah because uh, usually you see like a on an American show they'll do like a cutaway to Canada and it's just like somebody with like a southern U.S. accent yeah. like, that's not what Canadians sound like what Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same way they cut away to England, and it's always some like exactly. from guy from Victorian era England. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there'll be like a cutaway to Buckingham Palace, and they'll yeah. be doing like Cockney accents. It'll be one or two. Like there'll be a Buckingham Palace and royalty, or there'll be some like slum child from Oliver Twist just exactly running yeah, around. Like... The two English identities, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the as far flies. as America knows you always kind of think it was like yeah but it's kind of true in certain areas. <laughs> <laughs> it's annoying when I live up to the stereotype <laughs> no I feel like I feel like uh, it's, it's frustrating even as a Canadian seeing that you know yeah. it's like I'm aware of like you know 10 other accents that exist in the UK that that you're not seeing in these kinds of things yeah I mean I mean, I, I mean kind of touch on it in the sense of i always feel like with canadian programming and uk programming there's a slight overlap in terms of humor yeah like they're more closely aligned than like american shows and UK i could shows. see that yeah yeah it's it's always hard to describe because it's not like there's one style of comedy but yeah i do feel like uh with canadian stuff and british stuff there's simultaneously like a little bit more there's maybe almost maybe like two streams there's sort of more dry deadpan stuff and also much broader uh more surreal stuff than you tend to see with american shows yeah definitely. in general i mean a lot of american things have been influenced by british comedy and you know like there's there's shows that are exceptions for sure but i feel like you do tend to see a lot of like surreal stuff and then also quieter deadpan stuff yeah i think it was i mean when you when you work on your work do you kind of do you create it with more of kind of like an improvised surreal style or are you just thinking a very flat line of right this is what happens in this episode <laughs> i don't know it kind of depends i mean it's, it's hard to say it's so sort of intuitive because it's all just me you know i don't have yeah. to sort of like i don't have a standardized process where i like brainstorm ideas and then show it to someone mm-hmm. uh, i mean i do brainstorm ideas but i just show it to myself um but i guess in general i try to it tends to be pretty mundane sort of quieter stuff mm-hmm. uh but then on the other hand then there's like there's the halloween episode where like this yeah. monster is like possessing people and pulling their eyes out and stuff uh and uh, you know it gets fairly surreal kind of depending on the character i think certain characters are more based in the real world and like on sublo and tangy mustard and um and then their boss, Mr. Wu Bomber, is he tends to kind of make things more surreal and nonsensical when he gets involved in the stories. Yeah. Uh, so there's a bit of a variety, I guess, to it. But I don't know how well it works if you're watching like five episodes in a row, because one will be really slice of life and then the other will yeah. be kind of nonsense. I recently made a friend sit down and watch all of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of those, you're going to watch this and <laughs> we're going to sit through it and I, th- I think because I've watched them a few few times now and there's moments within it which kind of catch me off guard each time yeah and two of those moments are when they like get glued to the countertop 
yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, like forget <laughs> it happens. They're like, oh yeah, get glued to the car top. And then in the Halloween episode where he just comes in and beats someone with a baguette. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charlie comes in with the stale bread. Yeah. <laughs> and he just comes in with stale bread. And then, but it's just like, but you knew we were under like attack, right? And it's just like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's another character <laughs> where, you know, his presence kind of pushes it in a more surreal direction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the gluing them to the table thing I think was just a weird I, it just seemed like such a dumb non-prank you know there's nothing clever about it just, it's just a mean thing to do that kind of thing always uh, makes me laugh you know people just doing not in real life but the idea of it and like a show somebody just doing a mean thing and then being like haha do you get it? my joke I pushed you or something you know because <laughs> you know like this I think that's something that you see in real life depending on certain people's sense of humor there's this guy i used to work with who would like he would just like push dogs over and then uh you know they'd get mad and start barking yeah. at him and he'd be like Haha, i'm just playing with your dog like you know i'm just i'm just you know what a funny joke i push yeah. it or something uh, and i was like trying to uh incorporate that into the show i guess like it i mean it's it, it's there's it, that style of like it's not quite an anti-joke like what you're trying it's to not smart it. enough to be an anti-joke yeah. it's just being mean and then being like ha yeah. you get it i'm being funny it's like no you're not you're just being a dick <laughs> yeah I, I mean that kind of stuff makes me laugh yeah definitely i think i think i mean from kind of seeing your stuff it's like there's there's value in leaving space around the joke like i think a lot of shows yeah, now yeah. like always try to explain the joke or like put so much context in that you basically like walked through the joke whereas yeah that's not something i'm too crazy about no. i probably i'm sure i'm guilty of it here and there but yeah i try to avoid that because it just feels like i don't know i mean if it made me laugh i would do it it's not yeah. like i have some moral opposition it's just you're kind of going yeah i understand the joke you don't need to explain it three times and reword it yeah there's, there's a lot of that in uh I'm particularly in American comedy right now, maybe in British comedy too, but there's edges of it in British comedy. <laughs> yeah. British, British oh, comedy is like a little weird. But <laughs> at the moment. Have you seen that show Stathlet's Flats? I so, love that show. No, it's a British show. I'm I'm obsessed with that one lately. I mean it's over now. They did three seasons and I think it's done, but I mean uh, that's really that's, funny show. That's that's UK comedy. That's UK that's shows. We, we make five shows and then you cancel it and then I uh, I love that Simpsons joke that's like it's England's number one like long running comedy and today we're showing all six episodes or something. Yeah. Just, just Google Stephless Flats. I mean that looks familiar and it, it does look very British. Uh, <laughs> very Jamie Demetrio. Yeah. Have you, have you yeah, seen, that's a really fun show. Have you seen people just do nothing? Oh, I love that show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd say that's very much UK comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I like Steph more, but uh, I was pretty into that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. This is just it's leaving the space around it so someone else can make the joke for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much, uh, especially on um, People Just Do Nothing. There's so many kind of long running jokes on the show that are sort of left unsaid, you know? I mean, like the most obvious one that comes to mind is just the whole situation with, uh, you know, the main the main guy and his girlfriend and what's yeah. the other guy's name decoy yeah, and their decoy. daughter is clearly because <laughs> <The decoy's> <laughs> i feel like they never actually acknowledge that right nope. like it's not like they're they're beating you over the head with the joke it'll just sort of pan over to decoy looking yeah. awkward <laughs> every once in a while 
Yeah, I, I always loved about people just do nothing was just they it was just the, the complete level of tension between the two main characters and how in love with <laughs> like he was with him. It's like it's just there, but nobody ever really broaches how much he loves him. But he, yeah, he, oh, he yeah, loves him. Uh, like beats and grinder. That yeah, thing, right? beats and grinder. Yeah. Just like it's it's it's, it's top tier level. <laughs> beats is beats and his uh, his wife or girlfriend Roche, I think became yeah. my two favorite characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man, I kind of want to watch that again. It's been a while. I need to see the the, the, the movie came out. Which oh, yeah, that came out during the pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah. That's why I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, uh, I'm sure you can watch it at home then, but I I saw the show right before the pandemic and then right. kind of forgot about it for a little while. And it seemed like the movie was coming for a long time, probably because of the pandemic. Yeah. But I feel like over like two years, I remember hearing like, oh, they're going to do a movie. They're shooting the movie. It's it's done. And then you're kind of like, where is it? Is it coming? And yeah. now it's out, I guess, but. It took a while. It did. It took a while. I mean, so I mean, in terms of kind of like your work, obviously you've you worked with with big big boys in terms of animation, if there, if there is a word, you know, yeah. the Comedy Central's the big <laughs> the big kids. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you, I mean, you find creating your independent stuff like cathartic from working with that, or is it just? Yeah, not necessarily um, because there's things that you. It's not like I'm trying to do things that I wouldn't be allowed to do in a, you know, I'm not like trying yeah. to push the envelope with super edgy stuff, but it's just, I like the uh, immediacy of doing it independently that yeah. maybe immediacy is not the right word given how slow I am about it, but it's animation uh, it takes forever. So. You can just do a thing because you want to, as opposed to having to then justify it to the, yeah. you know, the creator of the show and then to the executives of the network and stuff, yeah. you know, rather than all these layers of sort of questioning, like, why is this funny? Like, I don't get it. Like, and you have to be like, well, it'll be funny when I, we actually finish it, you know, like the, yeah. the finished version will be funny. You can kind of have a weird idea in your head and go like, I think this would be funny if I animate it like this and you don't have to sort of uh, justify it or, or sell it to people. Yeah. Do you find there's a barrier there when like explaining things, which like, you know how it's Definitely. animated in your head and then you're like, this, yeah i'm not gonna be shown this for like four months <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't always really it's not like i have a perfect image of how i'm going to draw something but mm -hmm. there's ideas i have a lot of the time for you know the timing of something or yeah. or like i know that this will be funny if or I, I think this will be funny if i have like the right sound effect here or something yeah uh, but it's hard to just sort of tell someone and then this sound effect will play when they do this and it'll be funny yeah you know you kind of I think that affects the kind of things that get made in in a lot of ways because they have to be things that you can pitch, you know? Yeah. Pitching culture is so different from uh, the actual act of making a good thing. Yeah. You know, being good at pitching is such a separate skill. And I feel like I'm not good at pitching really at all, but, uh, but I'm decent at least at actually making stuff. Yeah. But uh, just the kind of jokes that you see in things tend to be things that are immediately understandable when they just explain it yeah uh, because of that whole process i think if you know having to sell it to five layers of executives or whatever yeah i always say that artists tend to need um kind of like a a personal assistant who can speak the other language because yeah. explaining yeah. things <laughs> it, like as an artist you, you kind of sit and you think okay like so i'm going to do this and then as soon as you've said it out loud it sounds ridiculous yeah, exactly. And then yeah. you're like, well, maybe if I put it back from out loud into like just existing, then it'll yeah. it'll 
but there's yeah there's that moment where you're like uh-oh i just said it and it sounds stupid <laughs> it sounds stupid but i still want to do it and <laughs> exactly yeah well it happens a lot with sublo and tangy mustard yeah i'll yeah. describe a scene to a friend or something and i'll be like and then sublo does this and tangy mustard does that and they just go oh okay cool yeah. And then I'm like, oh, uh, this is why I don't want to tell anybody until it's done, because <laughs> it's just uh, discouraging, you know. <laughs> it's, it's it is a real problem. It's yeah. I always think of it like I think like like you're saying like I think a lot of big companies and mainstream companies don't go down surreal lines because it is so hard to understand. Like yeah, you know, like an abstract scene. How are you going to describe an abstract scene? You're like, well, it's like a pencil, and the pencil turns into a crow, and then the crow flies away, and they're like, "Why?" And I'm like, just reasons. Just, just yeah, well, that's the hard thing too. That they need it. like logic for everything. Yeah, um, and sometimes there is no logic other than just I don't know emotional logic or something, yeah. you know, or is some kind of intuitive. It feels right, but I don't know. Yeah. It's not like I'm doing anything super artsy or surreal in my cartoon, but like I said, it's just, it's cathartic to just be able to be like, oh, I want to do this. So I'm going to do this as opposed yeah. to, I want to do this. So I'm, I'm going to spend months communicating why we should do this. <laughs> uh, you just follow, follow what you're interested in. Just, yeah, you know, yeah. Follow the red thread. And exactly. Lip your way through. I mean, I looked at, I did look at the episode you were kind of involved with like Tucker and Bernie and Bojack and stuff. And oh, yeah. yeah. It always seems like you end up in episodes which have really heavy themes. Like, <laughs> well, that's just almost every episode of Bojack. Yeah, I know that's it. Bojack. <laughs> like I looked up and I was like, okay, so the episodes you you were involved in were some of my favorite episodes. Oh, that's good to hear. And I was Happy like, it just seems like you you get end up attracted to these like ones <laughs> which were, were like off the end of like okay, there's no formal narrative here. We're just diving in and, and seeing what well, happens. I guess so. I mean. Uh... I, uh, I was on that uh, underwater episode, the yeah. fish out of water, I think it's called. Um, that one was a lot of fun. And like you said, it's a pretty unusual episode because there's no talking. And so you, mm-hmm. we kind of wound up, it almost felt like making an episode of some other thing because it, yeah. so much of the usual process of, of Bojack was based around the dialogue. You know, you'd get the radio play and then you'd start drawing things and there was no radio play for that because it was just silence. Uh, and then um, they, for a while, they kept putting me on uh, episode 11s, you know, right. <laughs> uh, for two seasons, I think, um, or maybe three, I forget. But uh, just because of the, the order of, you know, you direct every fourth episode, I think, basically, because there's okay. four teams that each did three episodes, basically. Right. So I would do episodes three, seven, and eleven. And eleven is always sort of the, the crazy climax to the season, basically. So yeah, I, I did a couple of those. That time zero one, I think, yeah. where, where Bojack's mom's going through all her memories, and then uh, the next season is one where Bojack is losing his grasp, losing his grasp on reality. Yeah, uh, that was a really fun one to do because yeah. we sort of we were trying to figure out uh low-cost ways to make it feel more like a a super cinematic detective show <laughs> okay. to try and you know blur the line like we wanted the filmmaking to feel different here and there yeah to to make it seem like like we weren't always being clear in the, the text of the show whether we were in reality or not but we try and make it clear with the filmmaking whether we were in reality versus in bojack's head of the show that he was working on yeah uh 
except for then there was also moments where we deliberately made it unclear uh, because of that nah, she got a trolley audience every so often <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that was a fun one and I, I miss doing that episode <laughs> oh it's so, it's funny how certain episodes like you really feel like don't have much memory of doing them you know you're mm-hmm. like i guess i remember doing that one but it yeah. feels like it just, it just took a week or something and then there's other ones where it's like oh, i feel like i was working on that one for months uh, <laughs> like that showstopper one where he's at the end of season five I, yeah. that felt like such a saga yeah not in a bad way it was a fun one to work on or the underwater episode you know yeah felt like we were working on that for like half a season <laughs> but then there's other episodes i did like um there's this one where Todd visits his girlfriend's family and they're all uh, axolotls or however you say it. And they're yeah. all obsessed with sex and he's asexual. And uh, and that one, it feels like we did in like two weeks or something. Right. I just don't have a lot of memory of it. <laughs> just locking out. So just fixes are burned out in the fixes. I think I was just distracted maybe. Oh, it was because I had some new, like new storyboarders on my team that season. Okay. So maybe I was, and that was the first one we did. So I was maybe focused more on the, the practical side of it than like the story side for that right. one and then there's other ones where you're really thinking more about the content of the episode and less about who am i going to give this next scene to and how am i going to give these notes or whatever yeah when you step back from kind of like managing people you you end up yeah. focusing more on what's actually being produced yeah. well that was the weird thing about starting directing that i never yeah. uh, predicted was how much of it is uh like people management you know yeah like this person is good at this kind of stuff, but I have to give them this scene that doesn't have any of that because they're available today. And the person who I want to give this scene to isn't available till next week. So I'm going to save it for them or whatever. And there's, uh, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'd say almost like 40% of the job is, is that. And the other 60% is, is the actual creative side, maybe. Yeah. But do you enjoy that side? I guess that's a good question. I yeah initially I was like pretty overwhelmed by it I, was right. like, I thought I'd just be making creative choices but I'm like running a team yeah because uh, I was I was foolish <laughs> um, and it didn't occur to me really but uh yeah I, I came to enjoy it yeah. um because it was because I, I got better at it you know like you, once you kind of know how to do it it stops being a, a terrifying you know thing where you're trying to juggle all these different balls yeah. And it just becomes like, oh, I'll, I'll throw this ball to this person. I'll throw this one to that person. And I know that they can handle it. And, yeah. You know, it becomes and a high muscle memory. Fix it if it doesn't come back right or whatever. Or, yeah. Yeah. So I ended up enjoying the process a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, as I say, kind of like those episodes were, for me, the ones which like tread that line of what you can do in animation versus just like, oh, we're doing a story like you know creating a story yeah. it's like like the media i consume tends to be more down the abstract line and films which i watch mm-hmm. like I, I love those kinds of things because what you can produce is so detached from reality and sure, relies yeah, yeah. heavily on visuals mm-hmm. um so it was seeing those and then finding your your show was seeing someone who really enjoys animation <laughs> <laughs> i was like i like this i need to talk yeah. to this <laughs> um what kind of what kind of like films are you thinking of when you say that um so i mean um my mind's coming like so I, when i think of like like when i think of pie with like darren aronofsky um, oh i haven't seen that um but there's a film called um, killing Him softly which is has 
it's like a gangster film, but in the middle of it has like a weird abstract bit where he gets high and just kind of drifts off. And, oh, interesting. Yeah. And I, I just, I like things which have the edge of kind of some, like some, you know, surrealism to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with kind of the animations and things I watch. I was like, being English grew up with Monty Python. So Terry Gilliam was like a big influence of things you could do with animation, blending in with live action and yeah, just Terry throwing Bins. things in. Yeah. Amazing. All, all of Terry Gilliam's stuff. I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to consume all of this. <laughs> <laughs> just hook it to my veins. Yeah. He's one of the few people who I kind of click on and subscribe to. If I need to know when your next film's coming out. Because... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Put me on the newsletter, Terry. Yeah. It, it's it, anything which like that, which produces an edge of we're doing this because we want to be doing this. Is, mm. is what gets me and when you see people who are passionate and making things i think so like i asked you one of the earliest animations you remember the first one i remember was the peter gabriel video for sledgehammer oh that thing is amazing yeah yeah and that's like my first memory of animated anything <laughs> and that's a good introduction to animation yeah it just showed me and from that moment on i was like well everything stop motion is fantastic so yeah stop motion is so yeah. kind of even though you know you can know exactly how it's done and then you see it and it still feels like magic yeah yeah and it, i think more than even like you know hand-drawn stuff because you know that it's like just a thing sitting on a table somewhere that's not moving but yeah i don't know yeah i think stop motion has like its own very special kind of appeal for sure yeah i don't know i mean kind of like you the same with it just the idea that animation comes from essentially nothing that you're producing something and then bringing it to life like you're not just recording people doing their thing you give a character and you're like cool i've got a character but that character doesn't have sound unless i give them sound yeah <laughs> it's it's so interesting how uh like there's there's strengths and weaknesses to that like i feel like making making stuff feel spontaneous is one of the the biggest mm. like magic tricks in animation you know where because so, it's so easy for things to feel really uh, like planned out yeah um which I think you see in a lot of like student shorts. I don't know if you watch any animated student shorts, but a lot of them feel very like you can kind of see the wheels turn or see the gears turning. Of like mm-hmm. we have to, we want to do this, so we're gonna start here and point over here, and then we're gonna get to here. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. I like it when you can't tell what's gonna happen next, yeah, or what the character's gonna do next. Uh, which yeah, it's hard. I mean, because you have to plan everything out, but you have to plan it in a way that doesn't feel planned out. Yeah, One did. of the Looney Tunes directors, Bob Clampett, was really good at that kind of thing. His characters all just feel out of control. Yeah. In a, in a good way, in a fun way. There's beauty in that. Just that whole, you know, it is, it is planned. It's very structured. It's very planned. But Yeah. Stop motion, especially because you, it's, you have to do it all in one pass. You know what I mean? Like with with two D animation, you can draw a character doing stuff and then add like a floppy hat on each drawing after or something. Yeah. You know? But with stop motion, everything has to be happening in in sl- super slow motion, but basically live. You know, like yeah. over a long period and then compressed, uh, which is mind boggling to me. Like the few times that I've tried stop motion, I've been like, okay, I I would need to work at this for a long time to get good enough to. Yeah. make it effective <laughs> i think a lot of stock motion hangs heavily on dialogue as well especially especially yeah. to make it feel natural I, I mean that was something i always loved about the yeah. wallace, wallace and gromit stuff was just it was so well written and everything felt so natural 
Definitely, yeah. Everything around it just fits. Like, yeah. Aardman's really good at that. They just, I mean, yeah. they just, their stuff feels, it's got a good balance of like being planned out, but, you know, like I was saying, but feeling spontaneous and natural and just uh, really believable. And also just appealing. Everything kind of happens in appealing ways in their stuff. Just I don't very know nice. what their magic formula is, but uh, comforting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Along those ways. I mean, yeah, yeah, we're kind of kind of running into the hour of, of coming up to the end of this hour. It's, it's been been, been oh, a yeah. chat through. It's been yeah. you know, the channel way. But I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, kind of your view in in terms of where independent stuff plays into the wider world of you know, mm. as as someone who's been involved in both, I and mean, as someone who's obviously very passionate about what you do and making things and continue to make things i always think it's valuable to make things but other people very much look along the lines of no you've got to go bigger you've got to go larger and i'm kind of curious about your views oh i don't think so yeah i i I definitely don't think bigger is always better and you know like there's a friend of mine who uh with the best intentions has, has been trying to get me to to do sublo and tangy mustard at like a bigger scale and he's like why don't you pitch it to netflix and I'm, at this point, I'm very glad I didn't pitch it to Netflix. Or, I mean, I could have pitched it, but I'm very glad that yeah. it didn't end up happening with them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, some things you can only do at a big scale, but there's a lot of stuff that really, I think, has a value in being smaller and more personal and not being kind of uh, compromised to become a bigger thing, you know? Uh, and... With independent animation in particular, it's tough because there's not really, I mean, it's the same as with live action shorts. There's not really an audience for shorts that much. I mean, sometimes there is, it depends on what the thing is, but uh, you know, like there's festivals and stuff. And and if you put a short online, people will watch it, but generally people either want to watch like a 15 second clip or something, or like sit down and watch like a full half hour or a movie or something. So it can be hard to figure out how to get somebody to watch a thing that's like six minutes long. Yeah. I think it's kind of an awkward length where you're like, well, do I, do I sit down on the couch and like put this on the TV or do I just kind of like look at it quick on my phone and then get back to scrolling the feed or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Independent animation, I think uh, is going to be more important in the future because you can see a lot of these uh, these bigger companies sort of crumbling right now. I mean, not necessarily that they're going to entirely fall apart, but, uh, you know, might, yeah. uh, they might start hammering like patches back onto the, the missing pieces, but they're sure not in a good place right now. Um, it's interesting. It's felt, what say? I was going to say, it's interesting that you mentioned the idea of like, it's hard to get people to watch things of a certain kind of length. Because when I think of like growing up, when mm-hmm. like the internet was kind of kicking off and like flash animation was at like its peak and everyone was producing these weird cartoons every every week. Like David Firth comes to mind who made Salad oh, Fingers yeah, yeah. and the Toast Boy and all those kinds of things. Those are the things we were watching. No one was like, oh, we want a 10 minute, 10 second video. Yeah. Everyone's like, no, I'm going to sit down and watch it. Two minutes of absolute weirdness. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think it's changed because um, a site like Newgrounds, I guess, would be the exception because there's yeah. like an audience there who's, you know, they're there because they want to see animated shorts or, or indie games or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, and, you know, obviously that's, there's lots of short stuff that does really well on YouTube. Um, 
I, I don't mean that to be like the scapegoat for why my stuff is more successful, but I think, I think to an extent that it, it's gone that way more, mm -hmm. you know, where with like first Vine and now TikTok more, um, you know, people do just, they're either like, am I just like kind of scrolling more actively and then, you know, like looking at things as they come up or mm -hmm. am I going to sit and, you know, watch a longer form thing? Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I think even at the peak of the internet, I think, uh, I think that was maybe the, the best time for, for shorts because, right, what did I say? The peak of the internet? I mean, you know, peak, <laughs> wrote it down peak, in, spiral of this peak uh, independent internet, let's say like mid two thousands, maybe I think that was yeah. a, a better time for shorts because yeah. there was more people, uh, sitting at their computers as opposed to like looking on their phones or watching a streaming thing on TV. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe people are still doing it, but you know, I think the era where, where the most people, or you know, where the majority of the audience is sitting at a desktop computer watching stuff, is maybe past, and uh, that might be a better format for watching shorts, maybe, maybe. because you. <laughs> I'm getting pretty into the weeds with this weird train of thought, but um, that's what we're here for. <laughs> but you know what I mean, because you're you're sort of able to just be passive and yeah. watch a thing, but you're also able to like click around but if you're on your phone you're like you're holding it you're kind of like okay when's the next time i can react um, or you know react when's the next time i can like do something with my hand <laughs> you know I'm, I'm holding my thumb up i want to push it down yeah uh, it's, it's it's a strange thing it's almost like i, I don't know like because it's very generational as well like yeah, like, yeah i'd say like our generation is very used to you know, you'll have YouTube in the background and you'll have videos just going through videos and videos. So you'll discover new things and you'll watch mm -hmm. three minute videos. And whereas younger generations are very much like we say, skip through because I want my hands free. You know, everything should be easy or I'm listening to a podcast, which takes a while to kind of listen to. And yeah, I just feel like, yeah, it's either short or long form. Yeah. Tends to be what, what most things are. Yeah. Whereas like people older than us won't sit and watch YouTube. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's an interesting uh, question that I think of sometimes where you're like, oh, not necessarily specifically with animation, but there's a lot of things where you, you kind of will feel like I want to do this thing. How can I make it work? Because I should be able to make it work because I want to do it. And so, uh, I'm trying to phrase this in a way that makes it understandable without being too vague, but you know, like a, I mean, specifically with my cartoon, you know, I'm like, oh, what's the, the magic thing that I have to do to make it like successful? Yeah. And then it's like, well, maybe why, why should it be successful? You know, I mean, it's not like a given that somebody should be able to, yeah. to make a cartoon at this scale independently and that it should be a success. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, that makes uh, sense. So the I'm kind of to... idea of like, what's the key to getting this out there? Yeah. But at the same um, time, kind of like, well, why would anyone watch me anyway? <laughs> yeah. Like you can't necessarily assume that there is a world where like, if you yeah. did the right sequence of, of, of promotional things or something that it would be a success. I mean, I'm trying to avoid <laughs> mentioning Woody Allen, but he, uh, <laughs> but he's, I remember he said this in a way that kind of made sense to me where he was like, Oh, I'm really lucky to have been in the 20th century where, you know, being a good writer is like a skill that's highly in demand because if it was like the dark ages and i was yeah. living then and i was a great writer i wouldn't have you know it wouldn't have done me any good i should have been like a great fighter or farmer or something 
you know, that like, just because you want to do something doesn't necessarily mean that there is like a use for it, I guess. Yeah, I, th um, I, think, I think that's important to keep in mind, like, especially yeah. when you're making anything, I always think of it along the lines of it, it shouldn't matter whether anyone's going to see it. Or, that's the thing. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm not, and that's sort of, there's like a freedom in that too, you know, where yeah. I like the reason I'm doing Sublo and Tangy Mustard or anything really is just because I enjoy the act of doing it and less so because I'm like, well, there's going to be some big payoff if I do it right, you know? Yeah. Because it's like, there is no right way. It's just whatever I want to do. And that's a great attitude to have. And why, why I enjoy Sublo and Tangy Mustard. <laughs> I think that's a good point to round this out on. All right. Yeah. I started yeah. rambling for a while, but I guess we, we ended up tying it back somehow. <laughs> we, we always do. That's that's how the show works. Is we, we get on like a whole tangent and then we come back around with like a nice, nice yeah. ending point. I do have one more question, which was okay. posed by my friend who I recently forced to watch the whole thing about Sublo and Tangy Musk. And it's specific. So obviously, Sublo's a submarine because mm -hmm. he works at a sub shop. But why is Tangy Mustard like a parrot? Well, it doesn't have anything to do with his name. I guess he's a. <laughs> There was some reason. <laughs> she watched through the whole uh, thing and she asked me and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it's something about nautical something. I'd, I'd have to ask Aaron back in 2014, I guess. But uh, yeah, I think it just maybe two can't say it. I don't know. Uh, it just seemed like the kind of mascot character that you would have. Maybe there is a green parrot mascot shit. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I don't know. I just was kind of thinking of random things, and I thought it'd be funny if he was a, a parrot. A No good answer for that, really. It's just arbitrary, I guess, at a certain point. It's just high-level concept. That's all it is. Like, right, it's completely intentional. It's just mm -hmm. it's, it's something for the scholars to discuss when they look back on Sublo. Exactly. Generations from now. Yeah. So, someone <laughs> will clarify this for you. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Yeah, they'll be able to read the, uh, you know, the authorial intent yeah. by picking up on the subtext that I wasn't aware of. Exactly. That's, that's the way to do it. All this stuff. <laughs> it's been great to speak to you, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, you. you too. Thank you for coming to chat to me. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll round out there. And we will talk to these guys later. All right, bye. Yeah.